Instinctively, we know that connection is important for our health and well-being. So maintaining positive, uplifting connections is really important at this time. And hopefully people are able to find that within their teams, but also reaching out to people in their social lives as well. Hi, I'm Helen Lowy private practitioner in counselling and psychotherapy. I have a special interest in workplace wellbeing. And I'm Kay Dunkley, pharmacist and executive officer of the Pharmacist Support Service. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Community pharmacy is an engaging and rewarding industry to be a part of. On the other hand, however, it can at times be challenging and overwhelming. Workplace stress is a common experience for pharmacists and pharmacy staff and it can present in many ways and over different periods of time. The industry has harboured a long-held notion that working long and stressful hours under high prescription numbers and constant patient queries are par for the course and this can often lead to cultures of stress and burnout within the profession. The recent outbreak of COVID-19 certainly hasn't made any improvements on this environment and many pharmacies and now coping with the stresses of customer abuse, business continuity plans, and keeping up with the ever-changing guidelines. It's a timely opportunity to get the conversation rolling on workplace wellbeing and mental health in community pharmacy. In today's episode, we speak with Kay Dunkley, a registered pharmacist and current executive officer of Pharmacists Support Services. Kay has a wealth of experience in working to provide support services to the pharmacy profession and has worked on a number of medicines and therapeutic advisory committees. We also chat with Helen Lowy, registered pharmacist and counsellor. Helen helps individuals and businesses understand the impacts associated with healthcare culture and move from surviving to thriving. We discuss some of her areas of clinical interest, including psychological safety, resilience, and connection through meaning and purpose. Let's start with hearing from Kay. Kay, thanks for your time today and coming on to discuss what is definitely a relevant issue at the moment, probably all the time, but considering the circumstances we are in at the moment, it is highly relevant. But first, before we get into the topic, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background? Well, I'm a very proud pharmacist. I'm still registered. Um, I started out in hospital pharmacy and then I moved into more administrative roles and I worked for a variety of different pharmacy and medical organisations as well as keeping up some clinical practice. And over the years I've developed a particular interest in the well-being of health professionals and obviously particularly pharmacists as this is my own profession and so that's my main interest and focus now. Healthcare workers are currently subject to an unprecedented level of workplace stress in this COVID-19 environment, and pharmacy is absolutely no exception to that. But we know that even under normal circumstances, community pharmacies generally operate under what is quite a stressful environment. What does the landscape of workplace stress look like for pharmacy staff at the moment? Well, as you say, there is an inherent level of stress in pharmacy. We're always under pressure not to make dispensing errors or provide inaccurate advice or information. 
And the pressure comes from ourselves as well as from the public and other health professionals. But, you know, we're trained with, on the importance of accuracy and we know that an error can result in a significant harm to a person. And our registration as a pharmacist can be suspended or cancelled if we call if we cause any harm. So in terms of um, pharmacists, you know, we, we have a lot of pressure on us to avoid making any mistakes and the public rely on us picking up any prescribing errors. We also work under lots of time pressure and that adds to the risk of making an error or missing an error in prescribing. And it's the other aspect of that is that we're often the last person a patient sees before they take their medication home. So that really increases our responsibility. And often at the stage when we see a patient, they've already been to the doctors, they might have been to pathology for some tests, they might have seen a nurse. And so by the time they get to us in the pharmacy, they're exhausted, they're often a bit impatient, they just want to go home and yet they want their script as quickly as possible. So that in itself creates a lot of pressure for us because, you know, they're they're ready to leave and we're just starting out and we've got important information to impart. In terms of dealing with the public, we provide care, compassion. That's draining on ourselves. We're often very much a part of the patient's lives. People who come into the pharmacy, we get to know them, we go through them with their ups and downs. And that in itself can, you know, cause a little bit of compassion fatigue over time. We're also custodians of medication and a lot of substances that can be misused and abused. And that responsibility can result in difficult interactions with our patients and the risk of aggression and verbal and physical abuse because a lot of the public don't actually understand the responsibilities we have and our duty of care when it comes to medication supply, particularly around substances that can be misused or abused. So community pharmacists are often targeted by drug seekers for holdups um, and by uh, pharmacy shoppers who are trying to um, get extra medication that isn't appropriate. The other thing that causes a lot of stress is that we're available for extended hours, and this actually can impact our ability to maintain a balanced lifestyle. You know, pharmacies open seven days a week typically, if not sometimes six, but often seven, and we often have extended hours. And in addition to this, we've also got to do our own professional development, our CPD, and keep up to date. So there's a lot of time um, spent in our, you know, working and not a lot of time for our personal lives. We also deal with lots of legislation and red tape, and that comes from multiple levels of government. You know, we've got local councils who require certain requirements and we've got state government with all the poisons regulations and federal government with all the um, uh, PBS requirements. And that actually adds a lot to the burden of the work we do. And a lot of the public and prescribers don't really understand the legal requirements, which can put us in a very difficult situation with, re with requests to bend the rules. I think the other thing, pharmacy owners have the stress of running a small business. They have to be good pharmacists, good employers, and good at managing a business. 
And, you know, they have to recruit and train staff as well as retain them. They have to ensure business viability. They need to make a profit. They have to balance the mix of retail and health services and the mix of income from sales and from government sources. So pharmacy is pretty unique as a small business and it's also very regulated. And I think another aspect that causes us a little bit of discomfort is that our expertise isn't always well understood or valued by both other health professionals and the public. And there's a lack of understanding of the level of knowledge we have, as well as the breadth, and that we have, you know, this not that appreciation, we have extended clinical knowledge, not just knowledge about the products, but understanding of disease states. So, you know, when our work's not appreciated, it lowers our own feeling, our sort of self-esteem about what we do. So I think the other thing is that people don't realise we're the last check and balance in medication supply and that we add to the value of medication by ensuring that people not only understand the directions and how to use their medication, but also know what to expect, whether it's side effects or um, how soon it will work. And... This is not always understood that when we supply a repeat prescription, it's not just a matter of putting a label on the packet, but we're also required to review the medication adherence. We need to make see if the patients have any side effects and if they have any misinformation about their medication. So PSS um, undertook a national survey of Australian pharmacy workforce in 2017 to look at the extent of stress experienced and the extent to which it is work-related, how stress is managed, the barriers to getting help for pharmacists and how well-prepared the workforce is for stressful situations. And we had over a 1,000 respondents, 1,246 to be exact, and that's out of a workforce of just under 30,000. And those results showed that pharmacists have a higher level of stress than the general population. And in addition, those under 30 years of age or with less than 10 years experience have the highest levels of stress. And just under half the respondents reported dissatisfaction with their work-life balance. And, you know, this shows that it's clear evidence that, you know, pharmacists are stressed. And that said... Although pharmacy is stressful, it can also be very satisfying and we can really get a lot back from the people who come in and into our pharmacies, the people we help. And it can be just that look of appreciation when you've talked to their doctor and sorted out a problem for them. It could be when we show them how to use a new device and they feel comfortable to go away and use it at home. You know, a lot of pharmacies do get little thank you gifts, cards, cakes, chocolates, but it's also just the way we build up our relationships with the community. And we can really make a difference to the communities we serve because we do enhance their medication use and we assist them to, you know, we actually assist them to stay well and stay out of hospital. So, and we're very accessible. So I think there's a lot of safety satisfaction as well as the stress. As you said, a lot of satisfaction, but as you pointed out, there was a lot of factors there that you listed that makes the pharmacy profession 
an inherently stressful one and staff are exposed to, to lots of different kinds of stresses as you outlined just there. What are some of the ways in which community pharmacy staff, they respond to those stresses and, and are there strategies that can help the industry and, and the individuals away from the traditional paradigm of workplace stress to a more healthy, balanced response? Good question. Look, some stress is important to motivate us. You know, the impact of stress on our performance is like a bell curve. To a certain point, it enhances our performance. But once it becomes excessive, our performance actually starts to decline. So long-term stress without any respite does lead to burnout. For health professionals, this burnout is when we really start to lose our passion and joy in what we do on a day-to-day basis. We start to resent the amount of time we're spending at work. We start to show signs of irritability with our colleagues and our patients. We can become quite numb and we no longer care and we struggle to show compassion. When this happens, we're no longer able to work as well and to function as efficiently as we used to. Yep, we may still be able to function mechanically, especially with routine tasks such as dispensing, but we're more likely to make mistakes or misprescribing errors. Often at this point, we also start to have difficulties with our relationships with those around us, whether it's in the workplace or at home. And we also, at this point, when when you're burnt out, when you're overstretched for too long, you can turn to alcohol and other substances, or some people turn to gambling, some might turn to illegal activities. And those who are burnt out certainly have increased risk of mental illness. So in the past, pharmacists used to really brag about their ability to handle huge workloads and long hours. And, you know, it was a, you were seen as a bit of a hero if you could dispense a large number of scripts in a day. It's like a badge of honour. However, we're now starting to realise that there's a risk to our patients. There's no job satisfaction in that. And I think pharmacists, particularly the younger generation, are looking for increased interaction with with patients and roles which involve problem solving and using their knowledge and providing meaningful outcomes. And, you know, if you look at it realistically, dispensing is now undertaken by dispensing technicians or robots. I think also today people are looking for that life balance with time to pursue other interests outside of pharmacy And that life balance is important to prevent the burnout from our work. It really does enable us to enjoy what we do in our professional life if we have outside interests. And this enthusiasm means that we all provide better care to the community we serve and we're much nicer people and we get along a lot better with our colleagues and with our families. It's a great segue, Kay, into my next question because you're part of a great initiative, an amazing initiative called Pharmacists Support Services. Can you tell us a bit about that organisation and what it does to support our pharmacists and, and their pharmacy staff? It's a charity. Pharmacists Support Services is a charity. We focus on the mental health and wellbeing of Australian pharmacists, but also interns and pharmacy students. We are just a phone call away and people can call us when they're stressed or concerned about their mental health or if they just need a listening ear. So the phone is always answered by a volunteer. Now, our volunteers are all trained. They're all experienced pharmacists or retired pharmacists. And the training they are given relates to crisis support counselling. And when people ring, they don't have to say who they are. It's an anonymous service. 
and it's confidential. And it's available by phoning 1300 244 910. And the service is available between 8 in the morning and 11 at night, and that's Eastern Standard Time. At the moment, most of our volunteers are on the eastern coast of Australia. So we tend to, uh, our hours are based on that Eastern Standard Time. We've got volunteers at the moment who are in Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, Victoria and Tasmania. Now, a lot of people say to us, well, who funds all this? And it's the major pharmacy organisations. So the Guild, the Pharmaceutical Society, PDL, Professional Pharmacists Australia, who are the union, the Society of Hospital Pharmacists, and also the Friendly Societies Association provide us with annual donations and NAPSA, the student body, do some fundraising for us. So we're pretty low budget and we're a not-for-profit. We also welcome donations from the broader profession and we do get some, fortunately, uh, from both pharmaceutical bodies and companies and also from individuals. And that's really appreciated because it's a way that people can give back to their profession by giving a donation to the pharmacist support service. It's a fantastic initiative and it must be very reassuring for pharmacists and their staff to know that there's an industry-focused support system in place like that. And another fantastic resource that pharmacists and pharmacy staff they might not be aware of is the Managing Stress in Pharmacy publication. It's a a great document that covers a range of issues and tips on helping staff create stress-free workplaces. What does the resource encompass in terms of what people can expect to find in it, but then also what can they expect as an outcome in terms of how it can help pharmacy staff create healthier working environments? I'll give a little bit of background. It's an adaptation of a publication that was produced in New Zealand and with permission from the New Zealand authors, we actually re- reworked it so that it was um, Australian-based and we worked with representatives from a range of Australian pharmacy organisations to do this. And it's really designed to help those working in the pharmacy with common issues that can cause stress and develop strategies to manage the situations that come up. So the sorts of chapters that we have in it are workload pressure, psychosocial hazards, professional versus commercial, and professional satisfaction. And each chapter in the book is broken down into common issues that arise. So, for example, workload pressure, how to manage that when you've got a staff member who's absent, and practical strategies to work around that. And there's lots of references and links. It actually is all tied back to the competency standards for pharmacists. And the publication is free. We're not charging um, any money for this. It's been um, put together by Pharmacist Support Service together with a range of pharmacy organisations. And we did have a a volunteer editor, Helen Dowling, and... uh, it was the layout was organised for us by the um, APPCO, the publishing company, and we have it as a PDF on our website, which you can just download. But Gilded have also developed a CPD module, which is based on the contents of the book, 
And it's a very practical approach to a lot of different situations that arise in pharmacy. And I would encourage everyone to take a look at it. It won't necessarily solve every problem, but it's a great starting point if you're having a particular issue in the pharmacy to be able to read through some suggested options for managing that situation. You know, it might be looking at workflow. It might be looking at what you tell people when they come into the pharmacy in regard to how long their prescription's going to be. It might involve, um, you know, adjusting the roles of different staff members so that work is more evenly distributed. There's lots of these handy hints. It's very practical and very much a day-to-day guide. It's not really something you can sit down and read through. Rather, it's something that you can think about your as you think about your pharmacy and how it handles different situations, you can think about what other options you've got. Two fantastic resources for our industry. Kay Dunkley, your passion for health and wellbeing of health professionals and your leadership in this space is amazing. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights on mental health and workplace wellbeing. Thank you. It was a pleasure to to join everyone today and um, just keep that number handy. Remember, there's always one of our team ready to talk to you. doesn't matter how trivial. We will be happy to have a chat with you if you need to ring us at any time. I would now like to welcome Helen Lowy onto the show. Helen, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Kay has laid the foundation for our discussion in this episode. And so, Now, I am very interested to build on that with you. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background? I qualified as a pharmacist in the UK and I specialised in paediatric and neonatal intensive care. And when I think back on my days in the UK, I think one of the things that stands out to me is how much I really cherished working as a part of an interprofessional team. Um, so we worked as doctors, nurses, pharmacists around a patient and it was very clear to us every single day what the purpose was of the work that we did. Um, I worked in quite a large teaching hospital in Leeds and had a, a specialist team of 10 pharmacists reporting to me. And it was an amazing time for learning about leadership and teamwork and I am very grateful to what I learned during those times. Um, at the same time, I, I was very cognizant of the fact that I was taking work home in the evenings and at weekends. And as much as I loved all the challenges and learned so much from them, I was cognizant that, you know, after a couple of years, if I continued doing this long term, then I could burn out. So perhaps even back then, I was thinking about health and well-being. And so around 2000, I came to Australia for new challenges and also perhaps for a better work-life balance. When I arrived here, I did shift specialties and started looking more at quality and safety in pharmacy. And I've worked in public hospitals, private hospitals, and uh, now do part-time work for the Department of Health and Human Services. A couple of years ago, I also completed a postgraduate diploma in counselling and psychotherapy. And I think perhaps combining that training with my pharmacy training has led me to do work like this uh, in terms of supporting the health and well-being of pharmacists. And look, uh, since being in Australia, I have had the opportunity to represent Victoria on some national 
committees. So I've worked as a federal councillor for Victoria. I've worked on the, the Health Service Medicines Expert Advisory Group. And I'm currently a member of the Mental Health Leadership Committee for the SHPA. And I, I think it's always great on those committees because you get to speak to other people from different states and territories and get different perspectives often on the same problem. So we can work together and collaborate and uh, develop solutions together. It's a great pathway. Now, Kay discussed some of the, the general issues and the stresses that are part and parcel of working in community pharmacy. And given the current circumstances, I imagine that these general issues are, are surely compounded in the workplace at the moment. How has COVID-19, do you think, shifted the paradigm in terms of workplace wellbeing for community pharmacy? What are the new challenges staff are, are currently facing? I think COVID-19 uh, landed at a time when there was already a fair bit of stress in the profession anyway. So with COVID-19 has come increased feelings of anxiety about the potential impact that COVID-19 might have on individuals, on their family, on the business, on the practice and on the community. We've built, pharmacists build great relationships with the people that they serve in the community. And I think it's this sense of unprecedented uncertainty. So there's not many of us that have gone through something like this before. So we don't have a blueprint and a how-to guide. So we're learning every day and doing things differently every day. And so just from a human perspective, I think people are juggling commitments from work and home. So at home, they might be looking after elderly parents. They might be worried about whether the virus might have picked up on their clothing and that they're taking it home to family. They might be juggling kids that are homeschooling at the moment. And also they might have a, um, a partner that has um, is now out of work or has lost work, working reduced hours because of COVID-19. So Pharmacists are human too, and all of those things that affect, affect the rest of the community uh, are impacting on pharmacists. And I think later we might talk a little bit more about um, some of the professional challenges. Uh, so I think we're all working outside our comfort zones at the moment. And yet I, I love that expression that growth occurs outside the comfort zone. I'd 100% agree with that. Helen, community pharmacy, the staff play a vital role in the healthcare system. And the role is multifaceted. It involves, amongst other things, patient interaction, engaging with the, the wider health network outside the pharmacy, managing medicine stock levels and ensuring ultimately that the business is adhering to the proper rules and regulations that they have to operate within. How has COVID-19 impacted community pharmacies' role in the healthcare system? And, and what are some of the new issues or the stresses that staff are currently facing? So some of the feedback that we have received is that pharmacists are concerned that it, it's understandable that people come into the pharmacy because they might have symptoms and are unwell. So there's a concern that people can come into the pharmacy with potentially uh, COVID-19. So uh, people might come back from GP appointments or just from being tested or they might come in for symptom relief or cough and colds, which we don't yet know whether they have been tested for COVID-19. So it's that sense that people will be coming in and possibly passing on the infection. And 
I think people are genuine, generally quite stressed and anxious uh, in the community and amongst the staff. And so sometimes those uh, anxieties and fears can spill over. So agitated customers might come in and if they can't buy the supplies that they expected, so for example, uh, salbutamol inhalers are um, in more limited supply, um, or being restricted in terms of the amount of supply that can be provided uh, and also medicines too, um, they might be limited to a month. So if customers expect something different and then they find that they can't purchase it or medicines might be out of stock, then you can find that those moods sort of spill over. And we have un unfortunately heard accounts of pharmacists being on the receiving end of abuse or being spat at or had missiles thrown at them and geez that's just not the sort of thing that you would expect in your day of work so that in itself can be quite stressful and um, also uh, I think at the interface it's understandable that other health professionals are also feeling these stresses and tensions so for example GPs might be getting used to telehealth uh, they might be used to um, seeing patients in different ways, fully uh, covered in PPE, and they have different systems and processes that they're adjusting to too. And so sometimes tensions can spill over at those interfaces as well. Um, pharmacists are also dealing with lots of changes to legislation, and sometimes these changes are happening quite quickly. Um, so for example, uh, GPs can now send a photocopy, uh, a photograph of the prescription to pharmacists and perhaps through fax. And so we're finding that pharmacists are adjusting to these new systems and processes and might have an increased workload due to lots of faxes coming through. Um, so, and also pharmacists are feeling a, a whole kaleidoscope of emotions, just like the rest of the community are. Um, some pharmacists may be so fearful that they're choosing to stay at home, which obviously means that there's an increased workload for those that are working. Um, so workload challenges as well. Um, medicine stocks, as I mentioned earlier, vaccines, access to PPE, those sorts of things um, can also add extra tensions. And look, I, I think... Also, there has been a little bit of a lack of recognition for the role that the community pharmacist has. Um, so that might have impacted, for example, their access to PPE, or it might have impacted how quickly they get results from COVID-19 tests themselves, which impacts pharmacies. And they might have even had to close down a pharmacy whilst they await uh, COVID-19 results for themselves. So it's multifaceted, I think. That is a, a comprehensive list and, and a lot of things to juggle and consider there. Clearly, healthcare is an area that has been significantly impacted by the pandemic, but it's important also to remember that other facets of our daily lives are affected as well. Pharmacy owners are beginning to feel some of these pressures that revolve around business continuity and staff retention. On the other end of the spectrum, early career pharmacists, they're facing concerns and, and, and maybe worried around their schooling being completed and their intern requirements. How's the industry coping? What are some of the responses that, you, that you've seen to these challenges that, that people are putting in place? 
But you mentioned uh, intern requirements and fortunately the pharmacy board are working hard to try to ensure that the interns do meet the requirements this year uh, in order to take their exams and qualify. So they're looking at more flexible approaches to the number of hours uh, that are required in terms of supervised hours of practice. And perhaps interns might also need to spend more time in different uh, premises. Um, I'm obviously focusing more on community pharmacy here at the moment, but um, it might be that they have to practice at several different premises in order to get the number of hours. And look, there are silver linings to that too, in that working across different premises in, in different locations can actually give a greater depth and breadth of experience. So sometimes it's important to look at the opportunities in these hardships as well. And it was recently reported uh, in the media that Queensland are increasing the role of uh, first-year students, for example, and they're supporting health services in terms of the workload of frontline health professionals. So sometimes it's important to be a little bit innovative as well to ensure that those requirements are met. Um, I mentioned earlier that reduced staffing can impact pharmacy service delivery. So for some pharmacies, this means that they're not able to stay open for the usual number of hours. The physical distancing also, it resulted those kind of spontaneous walk-in um, opportunities and people are spending less at the moment in community pharmacies. So it's, it's impacting that side of the business. And look, giving a mention to hospital pharmacies as well, uh, I've spoken to a number of colleagues who are finding that they're having to work in very different ways. So, for example, they might split their work into different teams. These teams might not have worked together before and some of that bonding time might not have had time to happen to gel the team together. And also you can imagine uh, if you've got a new starter and you've got to coach them through at a 1.5 metre distance, it's a really strange environment to do that. Um, and if pharmacists have been used to working out on the wards, they might find that they're less able to do that because of physical distancing and shifts in workload and priorities. So they might find that their actual, the actual nature of their job is different. So they might be working more in a dispensary-based role, which some people will uh, pick up quite quickly and other people might feel a sense of grief and loss even that the, the role that they used to do is very different. Um, and I've also had some hospital pharmacists tell me about how they don't have their usual team or support team around them. They might feeling, be feeling a little bit more isolated uh, and disconnected. So there's, there's challenges in feeling connected to your, your tribe, if you like, uh, in your team. Some great examples of how community pharmacy is operating under a significant level of, of uncertainty in response to what's happening. How important is strong leadership in ensuring that pharmacies need to and continue to provide positive outcomes for patients as well as their as well as their staff what are some of the the areas that pharmacy leaders can focus on to ensure that they still maintain optimal team and workplace well-being in what is clearly less than ideal situations i'm hearing a lot about compassionate leadership at the moment and what that means is that leaders are perhaps less required to be directive or command and control leaders, but 
have that empathy with what their staff are going through in order to get the best outcomes from people at the moment. And I think now is an opportunity for leaders to perhaps experiment a little bit with different style of leadership to what they might have previously been comfortable with. So we know that when people feel psychologically safe at work, they're more likely to be great problem solvers and to thrive and be innovative. So now is an opportunity to try and engage the entire team in sorting through some of the day-to-day challenges. So by compassion, what I mean is a combination of empathy, so understanding where the team are at and where the customers and patients are at, and then taking action to address the issues that are presenting. So some of the things that leaders can do right now is take time to listen, to hear, and to understand the needs of the staff and what support is actually needed. And I think some leaders might feel a little bit uncomfortable asking people, well, how are you tracking and how are you going? Because perhaps they might feel that they don't have the answers themselves. Um, But it's important to bear in mind that just hearing and understanding people in itself uh, goes a long way to building great staff relationships and building the, the team and the morale of the team. And I think transparency also builds trust and it's important to share information. So if, for example, uh, a pharmacy proprietary business was finding that the number of scripts that they're doing is decreasing and they might have to consider um, perhaps even letting some of their staff go, it's actually better to be transparent with the information that's coming in. Um, to engage the staff in some of the decisions and perhaps practice changes that need to happen in order to ensure that that business survives because you might find that some of the answers actually come from the team and by being open, people can be more informed around the decisions. So people might actually be quite happy to step down in their hours, for example, or spend more time with their family if it means that the business is still going to survive and they can come back to a place to work. So it's it's about saying the managers and leaders saying, Look, I don't have all the answers. This is unprecedented uncertainty. This is uncharted territory. We all need to pull together and think about how we can survive here. And they might find some bright sparks in their team come out with some great answers uh, from places they hadn't expected. So I think making it safe for people to speak up and share ideas about the things that are working and even things that are not going so well and perhaps need to change. So it's really important to do those regular team check-ins and and recognize and reward great effort from the staff as well because just as our brains are wired to keep us safe, um, they're also wired for reward. So by rewarding the staff, they're more likely to feel motivated and engaged And um, I think something else that I also um, think is incredibly important is gratitude. Uh, A couple of years ago, my husband had burnout and it meant that we were quite impacted by um, the things that we could do. So because there was less money coming, we weren't able to do holidays or eating at restaurants or buying stuff. So if we just focused on that space, then I reckon we could have ended up feeling a bit dark about things. 
But um, I just had a presentation from this guy called Hugh Van Kulenberg, and uh, he'd presented at my son's primary school. And he talked about the importance of gratitude and, and how it supports resilience. And so at tea time each day, what we decided to do was each of us talk about what we were grateful for that day. And it was amazing some of the things that even my son came out with, like he was grateful for his friends. Um, it was grateful that we live just a mile from the beach. I was grateful for the house that we have. So you can start focusing on the things that you do feel um, happy about and that supports you. And we, we actually know from the research that this starts neural pathways to build in your brain that help you to feel more optimistic. So, you know, that's just one practice that maybe you could integrate into your workplace as well. So perhaps ask your teams, what do you think went well today? And how can we learn from that? And it might be practices that people decide to actually build into their practice over and beyond isolation. I think that's some amazing advice. And I can certainly see how that would really bring a team together and push some of the things that aren't going so well to the side a little bit. We still have to deal with them, but but really bring that positive things and the gratitude to the fore because it is no secret that community pharmacy is doing it tough at the moment. But their performance and dedication under pressure is something that we as an industry have come to expect and admire and that the community relies on that. What are some of the strategies that pharmacies can start to implement to to maintain and improve and continue along that path of, of good staff, mental health and workplace wellbeing in difficult times like this? But we're all wired to connect and I think it goes back to um, times when we valued the safety of a tribe. So our primitive brains still recognize as a safety of being connected to other people. Um, as I say, it goes back to a very primitive desire to, to be safe. So if you're outside of a tribe, for example, you, you're more likely to starve or be eaten. So instinctively, we know that connection is important for our health and well-being. So maintaining positive, uplifting connections is really important at this time. And hopefully people are able to find that within their teams, but also reaching out to people in their social lives as well. And perhaps being considered about who they spend time with. We all know that there, there are people that drain us and there are people that uplift us. And be kind to yourself about making sure that you, you share time with people that you do feel positive and uplifted by. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and having some time at work where you can feel that you connect. And I've had lots of great ideas from some of the pharmacists about a lot, a lot of it seems to revolve around food, I have to say. So <laughs> <laughs> people baking or bringing in a pizza or something like that and sharing uh, a meal time uh, is good. I've also heard pharmacists say that it's been really helpful to actually get outside the premises. If, especially if they've had a difficult interaction with a patient or a customer, stepping outside and taking a few deep breaths, uh, if they've got a nature strip nearby, you know, a few trees where they can walk amongst nature, that, that also helps their mind to just get into a completely different space and let go. Um, I think self-compassion is important and I, I know that pharmacists can tend to almost be martyrs in that they'll work themselves into the ground for the benefit of their customers and patients. 
And I think now is a really important time to remember that you can't pour from an empty cup and that you need to look after yourself at this time and be compassionate to yourself. So acknowledge that it's normal to feel fearful. Uh, it's, uh, it's normal to feel a little bit uh, uncertain or grief and loss when things have changed. And so accepting that things are going to change from one day to the next can be um, a, w a way of being kind to yourself. Um, I've also talked in some of the webinars I've done about mindful hand washing. So handful, hand washing is something that all of us need to do at the moment to keep ourselves and each other safe. And so what I've said is that take 20 seconds to wash your hands, but you can use that 20 seconds to actually press pause on panic. So use it to take five breaths in, to hold for five seconds, and to breathe out for five seconds, and to pause for five seconds. And by doing that, what's called square breathing, you can actually lower your heart rate and your blood pressure and bring your brain into a space where it's gone from panic brain to, to a place where it's more able to do problem solving and thinking. So that's, that's a practical tip. Uh, and I've heard some pharmacists say that, yes, they've gone ahead and practiced that already from the, from the webinar. Um, the prayer of serenity is something that I often reflect on at times like this. And what I mean by that is that reflecting on there are some things that we can change and there are some things that we can't change. And it's important to have the wisdom to understand what the difference is. If you focus on the things that you can't change, you're more likely to feel frustrated and anxious. But if you focus on the things that you can change, and there are still quite a lot of things within our control, then we can feel a little bit more empowered. Um, and we can start making steps to improve our home situations, our work situations. So make a list of the things that you can control and start slowly working through that list and it will gradually take you forward. Um, and finally, um, Eat, play, sleep. It sounds like I'm preaching to the converted, probably. <laughs> it's stating the obvious, I know, but uh, it's amazing how much difference it can make. So, as I said, you know, wine and chocolate might be very enticing at times of stress, but um, if we eat well, um, it helps give our, our bodies the right level of fuel. And as I said, our brains are working really hard at the moment in terms of problem solving and, and keeping us in a place where we can regulate our emotions. So uh, you mentioned earlier about leadership. It's really important that we can stay calm uh, and not have a short, snappy response with each other because that just sends other people into a space where they're not feeling safe. But Eating well gives good brain fuel, it boosts your immune system and uh, it's, it gives you the fuel that you need to get through the day. By play, what I mean is have some exercise. We talked earlier about maybe going out in nature. If you do a brisk walk, it's also more likely to get your endorphins up and reduce stress levels. Uh, we also know that our brains work better for the first hour after a walk. So it helps us in lots of ways to manage stress. And sleep as well. And again, I think we we know sleep is really important, especially when we don't get it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you get those times sometimes when people are feeling stressed, they might be more prone to waking up at say three or four in the morning and do the problem solving then, which obviously impacts your ability to be resilient during the daytime. But if you can get good sleep, um, it's very nurturing for your body. 
And when we learn, we tend to replay the things that we've done in our minds at night time. And when we have REM sleep, that's when we tend to prioritize the things that we need to work on. And deep sleep, as I say, that's a really nourishing, restorative part of our sleep. So um, by making sure we pay attention to eat, play, sleep, that can help our resilience. And as some people have described it, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So we need to pace ourselves and look after ourselves to make sure that we we can be sustainable beings and uh, be resilient. So much amazing advice and lots of easy things, I think, that people can implement. Helen Lowy, registered pharmacist and counsellor, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights on mental health and workplace wellbeing. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Understanding workplace stress is as important for community pharmacy as it has ever been. The pandemic has brought mental health and workplace wellbeing to the forefront of the healthcare response and pharmacy owners and leaders have an amazing opportunity to engage with the resources available and develop the strategies required to bring their team through these unprecedented times. It is clear that awareness and proactivity will go a long way to helping staff establish well-managed workplaces that can handle the traditional and contemporary stresses of community pharmacy. Pharmacist Support Services provides a listening ear over the telephone to pharmacists and pharmacy interns and students. They receive calls from family, friends, colleagues and pharmacy staff who may be concerned about a pharmacist. If you'd like to speak to them, phone 1300 244 910. That's 1300 244 910. And for general information, visit supportforpharmacists.org.au. On the site, you'll find the Managing Stress in Pharmacy document under the Resources section, and then head to the Info and Resources, and there you'll see a link to Stress. Helen Lowy provides workshops, consulting, and counselling services, helping individuals and teams implement practices that shift them from surviving to thriving. Visit Helen Lowy, that's L-O-W-Y dot com dot A-U for more information. Finally, Beyond Blue has released a dedicated coronavirus mental wellbeing support service designed to support Australians in managing the impacts of the pandemic on their mental health and wellbeing. For more information on that resource, visit coronavirus.beyondblue.org.au. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 48 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.